Have you ever stopped to think that virtually everything we use in our daily lives is based on technology? Even further, do you understand the software behind this technology? Welcome to The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. In today's program, you'll hear how software is created and implemented, why it's written the way it is, and learn from its success stories, proven best practices, and significant failures. Now, here is your host, Martin Lacey. Welcome to The Art of Software. I'm Martin Lacey, and today we're going to be talking about the Bug Bounty Program. Uh, we've got today with us Jivan Singh, uh, Jivan Sani. Uh, uh, he's a senior information security architect, architect at a software-as-a-service company in Victoria, where he helps build out their information security program from the ground up. Uh, Jivan enjoys educating the development staff on security best practices, the latest security vulnerabilities, and defensive security strategies. So he's going to be here helping us today explore what a bug bounty program is. Uh, he's managed to set one up. He's built it from the ground up. Uh, he's gone through all the rough patches of, of what it's like to build a bug bounty program. Um, and he's going to kind of walk us through the whole process of what it is, what it means to big, build a bug bounty program, and how to manage uh, this, this process. Um, now, Jivan, uh, why don't you jump in and come give us a little breakdown of your, your background first, and then we'll jump right into bug bounty and where it is and what's all, what it's all about. Yeah, you, you nailed the background pretty well. I'm a senior information security architect. I definitely focus on the application security side of things, so I help developers um, and QA folk understand vulnerabilities and how to mitigate against them, how to code around things, and how to build secure applications. Um, and with respect to bug bounties, um, I think we have to go back a couple of steps and understand why companies run penetration tests in general. So yes. There, yeah, there are a couple of aspects. Um, in the past, it's mostly been on the security side. Um, as a security professional, I'm always worried about how hackers or adversaries would attack my system. So I'd hire a third party um, with professional security researchers um, that will find different ways to attack my application. And um, we have tooling that does a decent job in the security world, but there's nothing that beats human ingenuity. Um, and it's really hard to add that type of ingenuity into the tooling. So it's always good to hire a third party to help discover where your application might be weak. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So also, go ahead. No, no, I, I'm just enjoying your, your explanation of it and the, the background of it. Yeah, yeah. And also from, um, from a security aspect, we want to make sure that uh, we're thoroughly testing the application as well. So uh, various security tools, they might be like a static analysis tool. It will just run through the code. It may not have the appropriate context that it needs to identify a particular vulnerability or certain tools have a lot of false positives. So it's very difficult to actually find the vulnerabilities within static analysis. Uh, dynamic analysis, again, might not have the context on uh, 
how um, these vulnerabilities are there. So a human's always great to use to understand the vulnerabilities and identify the actual priority of those vulnerabilities. So that's that's why why companies run a penetration test. Um, and nowadays, it's really important to run penetration tests because um, as as we are in 2018 now, um, security breaches happen so often and all companies are very hypersensitive to security. So um, uh, I work for a SaaS company. During our sales cycle, um, enterprise companies will ask us for a third-party assessment of our application. So that's okay. why we need a penetration. Yeah, that's why we need a penetration test so we can provide it to our potential clients. Their security teams can review and make sure that we are trying to do the right thing. Okay, so that that's part of it, how you actually market your software. Then is by demonstrating that you've gone through these um, uh, security penetration tests, not just the standard uh, applications that run the routine, you know, <laughs> testing for the general uh, vulnerabilities, but actually going through and having uh, hired consultants or specialized teams to find bugs, right? Absolutely. So enterprise companies are definitely, they, they may look at your internal applications that you run, but they're definitely looking for third parties can, that can attest to um, finding vulnerabilities in your system or how strong your system is uh, security-wise. Okay. So, so yeah. that, that makes sense. So uh, before you actually get to make the sale, you have to prove, prove out your software. Yeah, and a lot of, uh, and it depends on the industries as well. So um, clients from banking and telecom industries have a lot more stringent controls and have higher requirements for security, but um, other industries, uh, maybe transportation or um, other industries may not have as stringent requirements. So um it's always a give and take during this sales cycle, but it, it's always it's always interesting talking to security professionals in other companies and other industries to understand their requirements uh, for uh, security. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about the actual bug bounty program, now we there's different uh, vectors, I guess, or different avenues where um, bugs or vulnerabilities in your software can be identified. You know, typical routes are through your quality assurance process and, of course, developers uh, doing their own testing. And, and as you mentioned, uh, the routines, uh, the software that, that do static uh, or pre-programmed uh, tests to, to scan your software for um, um, typical vulnerabilities, I guess, if you will. Um, how, do, how do you get this other um, avenue of bugs going this bug bounty program. Can you describe what, what the bug bounty is all about and how you get that program, how you sell the uh, concept of a bug bounty to your business? I mean, I mean, obviously yeah. it's part of the sales cycle um, to help, you know, validate your software, but how do you, how do you sell that internally to create the necessary resources to start this up? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's very difficult. Um, so um, 
again, going back to the concept of a penetration test, um, in the past, um, I've always hired a third party um, and they would have maybe two, maybe three individuals actually doing a test on our application. But uh, moving over to a bug bounty program, uh, bug bounty is at the very essence, it's just a crowdsourcing of a of the security test, the penetration test. So um, on at the high level, that makes sense. If you have uh, 20 or 30 different security researchers hitting your applications, they have different skill sets, you're going to be able to find different type of vulnerabilities than maybe two or three individuals. And also, if there's only two or three individuals doing the testing, maybe one of them is having a bad day or maybe one of them doesn't understand the technologies as well on your application. That gets mitigated in a bug bounty program because there's a lot of different eyes looking at it. So from that aspect, it wasn't very difficult to sell to the business. But on the flip side, the business was always concerned because these people are anonymous. Um, yes. Or yeah. the business had the perception that these people are anonymous. So um, with a traditional pen testing vendor, these security researchers are um, a part of that business, part of NDAs. Yeah, there exactly. are yeah, service agreements that you sign, contracts that you sign with these companies. So if something were to go wrong, there are always legal abilities that you may have to correct the situation. Right. But yeah. So happens, you can't have yeah. your your bug hunters leaking, if you will, information about the the, the vulnerability. And so that, how do you, how do you control that then if it's opened up? Yeah. Yeah. So being able to try to sell that to the business is difficult, but. It really, it really depends on the type of bug bounty program that you want to implement. So, um, if, if you are going to run it yourself, um, then there might be more concern for the business. So, if your internal team is going to open up uh, the application to the world, there's definitely concern about anonymous individuals hitting your application. But you can always go with a bug bounty vendor and there's a few really strong candidates out there they have a different type of abilities uh, with their researchers so you can say that i i'm only going to choose researchers from a particular country or i'm going to choose particular um, researchers that are not anonymous that have actually signed ndas with you well that yeah so that that really helps the executives. It, it really helps make the case to the executives why it's important to move away from a traditional pen testing vendor and move over to a bug bounty vendor. Interesting. So I, I guess a big part of that, I mean, from my perspective, I, I would certainly want to know who 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 we have out there uh, hitting the system. Um, and, uh, you know, they're covered by NDA so that, uh, whatever they do uncover would, would be, um, tight lipped, you know, <laughs> provided to the Absolutely. right resources. Yeah. So you don't want the wrong individual spilling information that may make you a bigger target. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so do, do you, 
when when you're setting up a bug bounty program and or do do you typically go out and find a a vendor then that uh, runs this for you, or would you suggest you know doing it internally? Um, it, it really depends on um, the nature of the business itself. So, um, being a medium sized business, um, we felt it would be much more prudent to uh, go with the vendor because. The vendor provides a lot of additional services. So one, it has a big pool of security researchers that they can throw on your program. Um, two, uh, you can select the type of individuals that you want to participate in the program as well. And three, you can have it anonymous. So um, if if I were to, I don't have to announce to the world that I'm running this bug bounty program. I go to my vendor saying, hey, I want to run a private program. Only let select researchers know that uh, they can participate in my bug bounty program. So okay. that had a lot of great qualities um, that made it easier to sell to the business. Um, if, if you're a big company like the Google and the Facebooks of the world, you have the ability to build your own internal team to deal with uh, a public bug bounty program. And you also have the resources to triage these vulnerabilities that are coming in as well. Because there's a lot of signal-to-noise ratio for it. So you might have seven false positives and one actual um, vulnerability. Um, for a medium-sized business, uh, we don't have the ability to hire additional headcount to deal with all the incoming uh, potential vulnerabilities. Yeah, and that's that's actually a you know another thing I want to get into is um, how you manage uh, or sell it to this sell it to your software team who are may or may already be dealing or uh, managing with their existing streams of bugs coming in and how they add this as an, another um, stream of issues um, and how well that integrates. We're going to have to take a quick break here and we'll come back, continue on our conversation with Jivan and look at the Bug Bounty program, how you manage it, how you integrate it with your existing systems, your existing business flow, um, and how that whole operation uh, comes together. So please stay with us. We'll be right back after this short message. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K. on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. 
Each week on CTN, CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacey at laceytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Welcome back to The Art of Software. Today we're talking with Jidan Sani, and we're going over a bug bounty program. What is a bug bounty program? How to, in, how to uh, set one up at your organization or you know, hire an organization that specializes in it. Um, so we're just going over what it is, how to get it going, and how to integrate it. So welcome back, Jidan. Let's continue on with our conversation. Perfect. I think we left off at uh, how do you integrate it into your uh, existing software development life cycle? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And we're, we were talking about the, um, you know, developers have, uh, you know, their existing suite of bugs that they're already dealing with. They've probably got a bug tracking s- software, Jira or something of that nature. Um, and they're, or, you know, Visual Studio, what have you, Team, team Studio. Uh, so they've got an existing to- set of tools, existing process for managing their bugs that they find and that the QA team finds. How do you handle this additional um, stream of issues? Yeah, that's an absolutely great question. So what we try to do is that we try to integrate very well with the established development process because you don't want to have a different process and then developers getting confused. Am I supposed to do this security uh, bug first or should I be dealing with my normal um, backlog of items? So yeah, before we, before we did any of this, um, we, we talked about how we would prioritize security vulnerabilities that came in and we have a, 
scoring system that we use internally, a common weakness scoring system that helps us understand the severity of the vulnerability that comes in. And and we don't want to use our gut reaction. We want to have a bit more scientific um, way of rating these uh, vulnerabilities. So we would rate it and we would map it back to the development priority. So if it was a critical vulnerability on the security side, it would be a critical vulnerability on the development side. So, um, and then the developers just have to follow existing processes. Um, we we um, we create the vulnerability within their um, backlog tool. We use Jira, for instance. So they just keep pulling whatever is at the top of their uh, priority list. So. If, a, if it's a feature, they pull that one first. If the next one's a security vulnerability, that one gets pulled next as well. Um, so to- we're a little bit more tighter on the SLAs, though. So there is grave concern if uh, vulnerabilities are left open for too long. Um, even if there are low-priority security vulnerabilities, Researchers have the ability to chain them and create a higher priority vulnerability, which may allow for a much more sophisticated attack. So um, everything else is normal, but we we hold the development team a little bit more accountable if they're missing their SLAs. That, that's SLAs the being the service is. level agreements? Yes, that's right, uh, service level agreements. So um, we there's an expectation that uh, high... Uh, vulnerability will be done and in production within a month. Uh, medium would be in several months. That sort of scenario. So when you're when, when you're gauging these uh, the vulnerabilities as they come in from a bug bounty program and you're you're applying a um, a scoring system uh, to them and now that that scoring system it sounds like it's, it's dynamic or it it is a is a function of time applied to it as well so that as time uh, passes the priority goes up yes um we that, that's a great question it's a great question for software development as well so um if if a vulnerability comes in we will score it and then we'll put it in the backlog and say if it's a medium priority and it has to be done within three months, should we be, um, after two months, should we update the priority to high? And after a few more weeks, should we up it to critical? Uh, our philosophy yeah. at uh, our organization is that, no, we should keep it at the same priority because um, we should only be taking in the amount of defects and vulnerabilities that we should be able to handle. But different organizations will have different um, ways to prioritize their tasks as well. Like, um, you're right, like after a couple of months, maybe we should be, like, no one's looked at it already. Maybe we should be upgrading the priority to high. It it really depends on the culture at the organization. Okay. So uh, once you've got your, you've scored it, you've... uh, uh, put it into the hopper with the rest of the bugs. So, or the rest of the issues, not necessarily bugs, but priorities um, for the developing de- developing team to work on. Uh, so it just becomes part of the the natural course of of correction. Then, that's right, and we want it to be as natural as possible as well. 
So um, a bug or a, uh, a traditional development bug or a security vulnerability come in, developers will pick it up uh, as they process their workload and it gets fixed and released into um, production as part of their workload. Uh, and we have a culture um, at my current company that we don't want to really push harder on fixing security vulnerabilities because mistakes can happen and it might be even worse for the business. So it might introduce a, a priority level one type of defect that impacts considerable clients. When when you unless you take your normal course and everything is QA'd properly and pushed to production properly, things would have been totally fine. So we we want to make sure that we're following development practices as closely as possible. Right. So that gets into you know you don't want to put put together what you think is a patch and introduce four other even worse issues. Exactly. Yeah. That. That will harm the business uh, more than a potential low-priority vulnerability. Right, so creating a, a cascade issue. Uh, so I, I guess then in processing or dealing with the, the results of your bug bounty program, it just follows into the natural process or uh, progress of dealing with any issues that your software is. It goes back into the development cycle, uh, gets QA'd again, uh, regression tested. Um, and for those that aren't, aren't familiar, regression testing is running all the tests that you've had, had done before, doing them all again um, automatically uh, and looking at the results, comparing the results from previous tests to current tests, making sure that the results are the same. So uh, presumably, you it just falls into that natural flow of things. Exactly, and if you're running a real strong uh, bounty program, you can do one additional step on top of it. Uh, if you have a great relationship with the um, crowd, the pool of security researchers, you can ask the security researcher to retest that vulnerability that was just fixed. So just adding an additional layer of uh, QA testing to make sure everything looks fine. Oh, okay, so uh, get, get them back in, in, in in the process. That makes a lot of sense. Have them kind of take the, uh, the post-QA code, but pre-production, and rerun the vulnerability tests again. Yeah, or it could be in production as well. Again, it, it really depends how the business feels about... Uh, um, their, the way that they want to do penetration testing. So um, as a business for us, uh, we know bad guys exist out there in the world. We know that they probably know of our company. So let's have the security researchers test in production. Whereas other companies, if something were to go wrong in production, it could mean serious money. So they might want to do testing in pre-production, but we're, we're very comfortable with testing in production with our security researchers. Right. And I, I, I guess in some sense or some cases, um, you might even want to set up a different uh, hard set of hardware for doing your penetration tests just, just to keep things isolated. That's right. Uh, and a lot of organizations, I'm sure that they do that because if, if you... If a security researcher comes across an application 
a denial of service attack where where they hit an endpoint that causes CPU spikes, you, yes. you don't want to have outages for um, your clients because that's bad. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking. You know, <laughs> the thing that just causes uh, your, your application to go into, you know, for for the sake of a better argument, uh, an infinite loop. So it just that's turns, right. and no one else can get at the system. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we. It really depends on the philosophies of the organization and how they want to deal with it. Um, we've run into a couple of uh, app level DOSs um, in the past, and there's there's a bit of a panic, but we we get over it, and then we reach out to the uh, security researcher. Um, the great thing about having a program, a bug bounty program, is you can point back to the researcher the type of testing that they are allowed to do and the type of endpoints that they can hit as well. So for the most part, we allow as much as possible, but we do have some restrictions. We don't want any sort of denial of service attacks, be it a distributed DDoS, a distributed denial of service, or a application denial of service level attack. So um, we deal with the issue at hand. We fix the application level denial of service. Then we just remind the researcher, please don't do that sort of testing. And we put the, point them back to the program so that they reread it to make sure that they understand what they can and cannot test. Right. So you do it as, as a, well, I guess that's by enlisting the, uh, a professional organization to do your bug bounty program. That, that yeah, makes it, a lot of sense. Yeah, it really helps. Like, um, and then like if, if we use a, vendor with respect to that, um, and we see that the researcher isn't heeding our warnings, we just talk to the vendor and they will reach out to the researcher or they'll just pull that particular individual off of our program. So <laughs> it, it makes it really easy to deal with it that way. But but having said that, we've never had to pull anyone off of our program. Um, researchers are all the interactions I've had with researchers, security researchers, they're great. They really want to do the right thing. They're really passionate about security, and mm-hmm. they want to find vulnerabilities. Yeah, that, that's that's my experience as well. The the professional hackers um, are, are really good guys. Um, with that in mind, we're going to come back uh, and talk more with Jivan about the Bug Bounty program. We're just going to have our last break here, and uh, we'll be right back with software Uh, The Art of Software and the Bug Bounty Program. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you a business leader or executive that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways. Listen for the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. You'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. The Business Elevation Show can be heard live on Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, usually 4 p.m. U.K., on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, 
IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. In your business, are you on top of your PR game? PR is what tells your story. Whether it's the business itself, key people in your business, or showing your best face to the public, listen for the brand ambassadors. Host Merritt Hamilton Allen with co-host Gary Potterfield will discuss effective presentation ideas, building your personal brand, risk management, crisis communication, and more. Focus your business goals and PR resources. Listen live Fridays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into The Art of Software with Martin Lacey. To connect with the show today, you may call into 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd prefer to send an email, you may send it to m.lacey at laceytechnology.com. Now, back to The Art of Software. Welcome back to The Art of Software. I'm Martin Lacey, and we're talking today with Jivan Saini, um, who is a seasoned, experienced uh, security professional uh, who loves to help his organization and others learn how to find and find bugs, uh, fix them, and makes quality software even better. Uh, so we're talking about the Bug Bounty Program, um, and that's setting up uh, or enlisting uh, a third party or another group within your company to go out and hunt down bugs. And we were just talking about the constraints, how you, how you manage that process. Um, you know, you're enlisting researchers, uh, external or internal, to go out and look and do nasty things to your software. Um, and within some constraints, you want to make sure that they don't uh, do things that would uh, inadvertently create havoc for your um, for your network or for your application uh, as it's running live. So we were just talking about how you uh, control that. Do you do that initially, or how how do you sort of govern what uh, researchers will will attack? Um, you, you give them uh, APIs uh, or, and or the user interface pages that they're allowed to hit. How do you manage that? That is a great uh, question. So personally, what I believe in order to run a real good uh, bug bounty program is you really need to think of security researchers and as an extension of the team. So if you trust who the security researchers are. Um, you you won't be able to share as much 
providing architectural documentation. Um, if they have questions, I love answering their questions. So being as open as and, and as transparent with them, allowing them to do the things that they are good at, uh, it, it really it really helps find higher priority security vulnerabilities. Um, so when when you're setting up the security bounty uh, or the um, the bug bounty program, and you're listing uh, uh, third parties to to do this. Um, what, how do you compensate it? I mean, bug bounty implies some sort of reward, right? So is it a fixed price like based on time, or do you actually reward them for finding different types of bugs? Yeah, so this is where it varies from a traditional um, pen testing vendor. So with a traditional pen test vendor, you give a fixed price, and it doesn't matter how many vulnerabilities that they find um, during their duration, usually like two weeks. Um, and with a bug bounty vendor, um, you pay a certain amount um, for their fees, and then you put the rest of the money into a pool. So you, it, sometimes if the security researchers don't find much within those two weeks, um, there's still additional money in the pool that you can use for later. But if they do find a lot, that pool will be diminished. Okay. So it's kind of like having a basically a, a flat rate plus uh, bonuses uh, up to a certain limit uh, for each level or category of bug, perhaps. Exactly. So the higher priority vulnerability that there is... Um, and your system that has been found, the more money the security researchers will make. So security researchers only get paid for things that they find. They can spend several weeks looking at your application. If they don't find anything, they won't get paid. They just get paid their base? Um, no, they, they only get paid for finding vulnerabilities. So, um, they, yeah, they, they won't get paid at all if they don't find anything. Oh, Really? So that's that's really incenting them to find to, to find something. Absolutely, they're aggressive, um, hungry. So, yeah, they they really want to find vulnerabilities. So, um, how do you? So, you know, we've got this issue where they've got potential to bring down the system if they find a vulnerability. Uh, or they go after vulnerabilities in a particular way, you know, denial of service. Um, so you kind of constrain them from taking down the entire system. Or, you know, how, how do you stop them from, you know, effectively blocking out other researchers, you know, becoming competitive within themselves? Great question. So it really depends on how your application is built. Um, I, I've seen different type of methodologies for it. So... You can, if your application is flexible enough, you can spin up separate tenants for an individual um, researcher. So, say you have 25 researchers coming into your system, you spin up 25 different tenants for them, and they're effectively sandboxed against the other security researchers. Or um, you, you can spin up one tenant and invite all the other researchers, and you ask them to play nice. Uh, so we've done both. 
they do play nice. That's the funny thing about it. They are there to look for their own vulnerabilities. It's not really competitive in nature. It's competitive in the fact that they they want to do they want to be the best, but they, it's not that they want other people to do poorly. Okay, good. So it's a, it's a friendly competition, as it were. Really, really, very much so. So I follow a lot of the security researchers that are on our program on Twitter, and they're always they're always helping one another out. They're always congratulating each other when they achieve success. So it, it is a real good, interesting group of individuals uh, in the security field. Uh, how how do you find the the, the quality researchers um, to do your vulnerability testing? Say if you're going to pull them in internally. If you're running it internally, um, that's a great question. So there there are a bunch of different ways of doing it. Um, first, uh, I sort of mentioned Twitter. Twitter is a great place for finding security researchers. Oh, pretty much everyone in on within the security profession is on Twitter. Um, and you can follow these individuals Another and communicate with them, encourage them to join your book bounty program. Um, one of the biggest incentives is uh, dollar and cents. So if you are paying heavily for finding vulnerabilities or if your program is very new and you haven't really done any penetration tests in the past, Security researchers will flock to your program because they know that they will be able to make some sort of uh, decent money on it. So, oh. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a fresh opportunity. Yeah, uh, and I've seen that in the past where um, companies that haven't ever run a penetration test, haven't really done too much security testing, they would be they would. Um, open up to a bug bounty, a private bug bounty with the vendor, and um, things would get, quote-unquote, demolished. The security researchers will find so many vulnerabilities in such a short time span that they won't go the full two weeks for uh, an on-demand program, and it will, they'll have to shut it uh, quickly because that pool um, got extinguished very quickly. Right, the pool of cash, you mean, the uh, the rewards. Yeah. The, the bounty. The reward tool. That's right. Yeah. So um, in uh, that's where that's where it's interesting with the traditional pen test. It it's going on for two weeks, but with a bug bounty, it can go on for two weeks unless the reward pool gets extinguished very quickly. Right. So I suppose if uh, you're you're new to bug bounty, um, there's a potential that once you dive down this path, you're, you'll just be inundated. Uh, and I guess that comes into integrating it, integrating these issues with your existing bug stream and managing your developers. I mean, how, how do you, uh, how do you developers react when you, you add this um, additional stream of, of faults coming in and, you know, potentially some of them could be rather damaging um, yeah, and you know, so how, how do your developers, how do you manage your developers so that they don't get, you know, freaked out and, uh, and depressed? <laughs> uh, our, our developers are usually more amused rather than depressed. Um, <laughs> but 
program as well. So if you have a two-week period, you might have you might find 20, 30 vulnerabilities during that two-week period. And then you have to create those Jira uh, uh, items. And then you have SLAs for it. So if you have 30 uh, defects coming in and an expected uh, SLA, service-level agreement, to when these are going to be fixed, developers may get a little bit frustrated because there's going to be spikes in their backlog and they have to move away resources, focus on security vulnerabilities for a bit, and then go back to what they're doing. An ongoing program is a little bit different where um, it's ongoing. It's uh, 365 days a year. So researchers come in, do a little bit of testing, go away, maybe come back another month, that sort of thing. So you have a much steadier stream of vulnerabilities that are coming in. There's no real spikes uh, that developers will see, and they're much more open to that uh, workflow rather than a short time period. Um, But there's a difference in cost as well. There's a lot more cost associated with the ongoing program rather than a short time period. So those are the benefits uh, for either one of them. Yeah, I, I can see from a you know from a relationship and really getting into the heart of some vulnerabilities. The the long term view on it would would yield better results, given that you you'd get more familiarity with your researchers. They in turn would get more familiar with your product and you know be able to take it one level further and further down. Or is that not really the case? One researcher you can swap them out. That's absolutely the case. You, you build a better connection with your researchers. Um, that trust um, relationship happens. You may share more information with the researchers. You might ask them to, hey, we're going to be releasing a new feature. Can you test this out? It hasn't been tested out by anyone before. So it, having an ongoing program, although it's a lot more expensive, it is I would. I feel it may be a lot more cheaper for a business in the long run because having a trusted third party finding these vulnerabilities is much much better than having it published in the newspaper um, and you finding out from uh, from the newspaper. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, we've seen way too many of these vulnerabilities. I mean, look at uh, um, what was it? LinkedIn is just. Was it LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn is just announcing that you know, 33 million users need to change their passwords. Uh, uh, Twitter. I think Twitter. Oh, Twitter. Uh, Twitter. Yes. Twitter. Yeah. Yes. So I'm like, yeah. wow, okay. <laughs> yeah. But going, going back to the developers, developers are always amused uh, by the type of vulnerabilities. Um, I think they only get frustrated when they have to re-architect uh, different parts of the application. But overall, overall, uh, especially the senior developers, just sitting down with them, explaining the vulnerability, having a little bit of a chuckle um, because they're a little bit more naive when they were writing it. A lot, everyone's a lot more uh, security-focused nowadays, so they're a lot more defensive now than they were maybe three, four years ago. So having yes, a yeah. chuckle about the vulnerability and then uh, getting to it and fixing it. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, it's it's uh, 
Well, it, it's it's great to have your peers looking at your code and helping you, uh, you know, clean up your act, as it were, um, so that you have a, a better process. Um, and I, I guess having uh, security researchers come in and uh, go through your – did you actually give them source or do you just let, let them have at the APIs? Oh, that's a great, great question. It really depends on how comfortable you are with uh, um, your researchers. Us, uh, we, we tell them architecturally where to look at, but we, won't, we don't share our source outside of anyone outside of our organization. Um, even if it's a third party, if we have a third party building functionality for us, a consultant, we will provide them with APIs and how to connect with our application, but we won't provide them source. You, you really have to be a developer paid by our, our organization to get access to our source. So, again, it really depends on the type of organization and what type of relationship that they would have with the security researchers. But I'm not that comfortable uh, sharing source. Yeah, source is like you know opening up the kimono and giving up all your all your uh, uh, intellectual property. Yeah, so, absolutely. Would would you go as far as to um, give them some sort of design documents, or just have them operate completely in in uh, in the wild as uh, as a, a true hacker would have to do? Do you like give them a uh, leg up? <laughs> I, I've done both, so. It really depends on my objectives. If I'm, if I want to see how a uh, adversary or a hacker would be attacking my system, it'd be very black box where I don't provide any information, just access to the application. But if I, if I'm more concerned about finding critical vulnerabilities in my system, I want to provide those design documents, the architectural documents, maybe even data flow diagrams on how some of these components work. So they have a much better idea, and they know which areas may look a little bit weaker um, and attack those areas. So it really depends on my objectives and my motivation on what I want to do next. So I guess you do that uh, on a per, well, not per application level, but a per feature. Do you ta target particular features in your application then? We, our, our application is... Uh, again, like uh, most application nowadays, it's a bunch of smaller apps uh, in an ecosystem. So, yeah, right. um, there, there are per parts of the application where we have um, we we have solely tested out with a smaller set of security researchers in our bug bounty program, and then we have a our application as a whole that we um, allow all the bug bounty program uh, researchers to test against. Interesting. Uh, and would you, um, I'm just thinking of ways to mix this up a bit. Uh, would you end up having uh, separate or multiple bug bounty programs running with different vendors or different groups and then swap them around to see if they can find, each, uh, find the vulnerabilities that the other group has found or dig further in them? Is that part of the process? Uh, not for us. We don't have that type of budget. But um, what we still do is we, even though that we run a bug bounty program, we still have traditional um, pen testing vendors that will test other aspects of security within our organization. Maybe not necessarily our application, but definitely um, testing our enterprise security, that sort of thing. So um, 
we we try not to overlap too much uh, with respect to bug bounties. Researchers aren't constrained to one vendor. You'll find researchers that uh, go um, test in with one vendor and then another vendor, that sort of thing. But uh, with with respect to our organization, we we focus our application security testing to bug bounties, and we want our infrastructure testing, both our enterprise and our production infrastructure, to be tested by uh, a traditional pen testing vendor. Okay, I see. So you you, you break it up um, based on the area of your application, then. Essentially, so um, we don't feel as comfortable with having uh, the bug bounty vendor test our enterprise because there's a lot more there's a lot more permission and access needed to test that uh, our enterprise uh, infrastructure, whereas our uh, software as a service application. We just need to provide a username and password for a researcher to go in and test it out. So um, we have different uh, level of controls that um, access our different aspects of our business. If that makes any sense? Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense. It, you know, you, there there has to be a way for you to govern uh, what areas of your infrastructure that you're exposing, even even to uh, vulnerability tests. You don't want them to go beyond or I- expose other applications to their potential uh, havoc or the outcome of of their work, which could potentially be havoc. That's right. Yep. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, Jivan. Uh, I want to thank you very much for coming on on board with us again today uh, and helping to explain uh, to our audience what the Bug Bounty Program is, uh, how they can gain uh, benefit from adopting it and integrating it into their existing software development process. So thanks very much again, uh, Jivan. It's been wonderful talking to you. Uh, I hope you have a great weekend. It was my pleasure. I always enjoy talking about uh, bug bounties and how people can help us uh, test our application. It, it's a wonderful thing to make sure your your software is is high quality. Um, there's nothing but great things can come from that. Uh, and certainly the <laughs> the corollary, the reverse of that is if you don't do it, uh, your 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 business is in potential peril. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Jivan. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to The Art of Software and Bug Bounty Program. Thank you for listening to The Art of Software. Be sure to join your host, Martin Lacey, again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.